I like listening to that song. I don't want it to stop. That is uh, the Hey All You Zombies theme song by Johnny O and the Jerks. You can buy that song and their album on YouTube or on iTunes. Uh, so check that out. I'm Richard Krauss, uh, the zombie in the east part of the city. Chris <laughs> Abel on the other end is the western zombie. We have the entire city uh, covered that way. That's right. <laughs> welcome, uh, welcome, and and you know we're going to spend an hour or so just chatting about things, just things that sort of grabbed our attention this week. And um, uh, last week, we we getting ready for Halloween. We've decided to uh, have a look at monsters each and every week. So the way it's going to work is that each week we're going to discuss two classic uh, scary creatures from the past and then just around halloween we will take the winners of all three of these things because once we discuss them you can go to heyallyouzombies.com and vote for whichever your favorite monster is uh and then we'll do sort of a, a monster brawl a monster showdown a slap down uh between the the final three and then we will emerge hopefully around halloween with you know the monster the classic hey all you zombies monster that's yeah. the idea. Anyway. That's the idea. And so far um, from last week, we, we decided to go for classic universal monsters. We, we chose the yep. two most iconic, which is Frankenstein and Dracula. Mm -hmm. And uh, I checked the page today, and Frankenstein is the clear winner. Really? Now, see, I'm a little sorry. I mean, I, I had no uh, dog in that fight, I don't think. I, I, no. you know, <laughs> we, we're just discussing them. We're just sort of throwing it out there. It's not really you versus me here. But, but I'm a little surprised by that because... Uh, I just think of the popularity of vampires these days with the Vampire Diaries and True Blood doing so well, and, and uh, I'm sure there's others that I'm not thinking of, but vampires seem to be, oh, Twilight, of course, uh, seem to be all over popular culture. I would have thought that uh, Dracula would have been the clear winner here. Well, it might have been different if we had done, say, uh, Frankenstein versus Edward. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Maybe that would be a different kind of result, but we are talking about maybe the classic monsters. And also, you know, I think people tend to go for, um, uh, you know, the, the, the underdog and sometimes. And so that might have been a factor, too. And so the reanimated corpse is a winner by a mile. Unlike yeah. Frankenweenie, which I got to tell you, uh, I was away for, I, 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 I shot all my reviews on Friday and then I went away. And I really switched things off while I was away. I, threw, I thought, <laughs> I really thought that I just didn't want to be connected at all. So um, I wasn't checking the newspapers and I wasn't going online to find out, you know, what movies came up. But Frankie Weenie didn't do very well. And it's a shame because this is a Tim Burton movie that he's tried to get made for 26 years. Uh, it is a reanimated corpse movie for kids, unlike any other reanimated corpse movie for kids, uh, about a young boy whose dog dies and he brings him back to life. It's sweet, it's funny, it's in black and white 3D, and it's stop-motion animation. It is a, a feast for your eyes. It's a terrific movie, and I'm really disappointed that people didn't get out and get behind it. Yeah, it's kind of surprising. I mean, maybe if it was uh, about a cat, it would have done better, or... You know what? I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I just looked. I'm going to throw up a, or bring up an image from it because, you know, I think that part of the problem with it, and I'm just going to show you something here, um, is that it, it might I, – I, I'm not sure that people knew what to expect from it. And I think that was maybe sort of some of the issue with it. So I'll, I'll show you uh, – you know, give you an idea of what the movie looks like. That's what the movie looks like. That's Frank and Weenie. And, you know, it, he has kind of a mournful look in his face, as you would too if you die a couple of times during the movie. Um, but he's he's uh, a fantastic character. And I just think, though, that, that people were kind of like, it's going to scare the kids. It's about a dog dying. Nobody wants to see a story about a dog dying. But it's more than that. And only Tim Burton, I think, could find that right kind of sweet spot between it being a horror film, like this, you know, kind of odd story about a kid who brings something back to life, uh, or, you know, a story about a young boy who loves his dog so much that he'll do anything to get him back. And it's more that story, really, than it is the horror story. So I was a little disappointed by that. 
Yeah, and I mean, this is Tim Burton. He's, you know, um, helped bring to theaters movies like A Nightmare Before Christmas, which was huge. Yep. Halloween bash. Uh, lots of families are, are certainly aware. It's not like this is Wes Craven's Frank and yeah, Weenie yeah, yeah. or Clive Barker's Frank and Weenie. Tim Burton. Can you imagine? Of, uh, <laughs> 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 oh, I tell you. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it should have been a little bit more of a friendly or familiar uh, property. And maybe it would have done better had this come out a little bit closer to the release of Nightmare Before Christmas. Or, or maybe, you know, maybe it's not quite Halloween y enough out there. You know, I mean, I noticed. Uh, we're sitting here, it's uh, October 10th today, and, you know, uh, three weeks ago, maybe longer than that, maybe four weeks ago, there was Halloween stuff in the stores over here. You could buy masks and, you know, whatever else. Yeah. And so it's been around for a while, but no one's feeling it. You know, no one's in, yeah. no one doesn't feel like Halloween just yet. Outside, the street that I live on here in Toronto, uh, as we get closer to Halloween, is going to look like a, uh, it's going to look like the nightmare before Christmas. Uh, there will be Halloween lit up pumpkins and, and big light displays and everything all up and down the street there. And none of that's there yet. None of it's here yet because people aren't feeling it. And I think Frankenweenie came out two weeks too early. I think if it came out just a little closer to Halloween when the kids were thinking about more about what they were going to wear, you know, out to, to uh, go trick-or-treating and stuff, the idea of this kind of maybe oddly scary movie might have been a bit more appealing. But I think it was too early. I don't think people are in the mood yet. It, it, do you think also the stigma might be just that it's black and white? Oh, absolutely. Listen, black and white freaks people out. Yeah. And I love, I love that this movie is in black and white because it's an homage to uh, the universal horror films that we've talked about last week, Dracula, The Mummy, all that stuff. And um, it's beautiful. It's so great. They, they recreate the it's alive scene from the original Frankenstein movie, and it's awesome. And it looks amazing. Uh, and to, for all that to really work, it's got to be in black and white. And I'm just so glad that Tim Burton stuck to his guns because you know that everybody probably tried to talk him out of that. It's, oh, no completely. One no one will go. Well, as it turns out, maybe everyone was right. But he's made a better movie because it's in black and white. Right. Those who are going to fall in love with it and, and really cherish it and, and you end up buying all the Frank and Weenie stuff are going to do so because – it's got that classic kind of feel to it. It wasn't for a lack of marketing either. I mean, they actually released a Frankenweenie app where you can take a picture of your dog and transform your dog into a Frankenstein sort of version of that. <laughs> I hadn't movie. seen that. That's yeah. cool. I like that. Well, and there's also, uh, you know, it had a tie-in uh, with Subway. And so right. if you go to a Subway store, there's all sorts of Frankenweenie stuff there. Um, you know, and, you know, remember uh, – the book that he put out, the Oyster, the Lonely, I can't remember, it's, it's on my bookshelf somewhere. The Lonely <laughs> Tale of Oyster Boy. And, yeah, you know, yeah. And, and they had all those really cool figurines that you could buy from them afterwards. I thought, okay, there'll be some really cool kind of ancillary stuff that will come out. There'll be cool figurines. And there's a girl in this, in this thing that has a cat with these giant eyes. And, and, <laughs> and when the cat has exactly the same eyes awesome i mean just a beautiful uh, uh thing and i thought that people could really have fun with this but it was not to be apparently who knows maybe it'll pick up as we get a little closer to christmas but i kind of tend to doubt it somehow yeah well hopefully it'll do better or on halloween TV. not christmas or, yeah. yeah well <laughs> well that too yeah. uh you know dvds are our big stocking stucker uh, stalkers and you know, yeah. uh, maybe it'll be a big hit on um, sell-through and, and home video next Halloween. It'll be the one. Because yeah. I think a lot of people, they do watch a lot of scary movies or Halloween-themed movies as they're getting ready, as they're building their costumes or you know, right. um, planning their, their big parties. But it is kind of sad. It's too bad that uh, it didn't do better. Yeah, no, I wanted I wanted this movie to do really well because it's just it's it's just really good. And every now and again, you know, a kids movie comes along that doesn't treat kids like they're stupid. That doesn't you know that's not all about uh, you know talking animals and the ecology and uh, all that stuff. You know, where the wild things are comes along, and it's a dark little story for kids. And you know, there are more Fantastic Mr. Fox. There's been a number of them the last few years. Last you know, two or three years that have really, really, I think, nailed it for kids. Because I think, you know, kids are okay having their limits pushed a little bit 
because everything around them is limit pushing. And they're learning stuff every day. I think kids are okay with it. I think it's parents that are so afraid to expose their kids to anything that might have a little dark edge to it or, or might be a little bit odd. And, and, and you know, as a result, the, the, the result is more children's entertainment that ends up like uh, – you know, um, uh, the, the, the Smurfs movie and that sort of thing, which is sort of like this kind of really kind of not quite for adults, but maybe like enough pop culture jokes to keep the adults entertained. Right. Uh, just enough color and flash to keep kids' eyes dancing around, but there's not going to take anything away from it. And I really think that movies that, that push kids a little bit, uh, you know, have, have a little bit more oomph to them, but, you know, uh, uh, but not all parents uh, agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yes. Yeah, so let's hope that uh, Hollywood doesn't get discouraged and uh, yeah. keeps greenlighting movies like Paranorman and Frankenweenie. And Paranorman was great, and again, yeah. didn't do well. And no. you know, I interviewed those guys, the Paranorman guys, and you know, they. Uh, they knew they'd made a good movie. They, they had thought about every aspect of this film. They test marketed, did the whole thing. And, um, you know, it, it turned out that, uh, I'm just trying to find a paranormal picture in her to throw up so people will know uh, what we're talking about. But, you know, it, it turned out that people just couldn't, uh, um, couldn't, you know, wrap their idea or their heads around the idea of going to see uh, a zombie movie that was for kids. And, you know, I think kids would have gotten a real, I would have, when I was, yeah, totally. you know, 10 years old, I would have gotten a laugh and a half out of Paranorman. But it didn't, well, it, again, it didn't take off. Yeah, and you, I mean, you take a look at, uh, I think, stuff that's more acceptable for parents to get for their kids yeah. or, or is at least more accessible, like Plants vs. Zombies, the video game, which kids just go crazy about. I mean, it's not yeah. for a lack of interest in zombies, but something there just didn't quite connect. It's a little too bad. No. Well, I'm going to show off uh, something else for for Halloween. Uh, I'm wearing it. A, a funky, funky shirt. Yeah, show me this. Show yeah. Okay, hold on. I'm going to go up. And oh, I see that the eyes are. Yeah, yeah. The, the, your, the skull is winking at me. There you go. Yeah, after a period of time, they start blinking. Oh, yeah. Looking around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is pretty cool. So this is uh, basically done with my iPhone. <laughs> are you in, I can't see your hand. Are you Are you moving it with your eye? With your eye? No, no, I'm not doing any control here. So this is just a, an animated sequence. Mm. Now, I mean, you're – what I can see on my video feeds, the eyes look a little green or purple. That's just the um, film right. on the iPhone screen. In real life, that would look actually quite white. Right. When he blinks, you can actually see the the skin of the uh, the eyelids in terms of the complexion of who. It, so it's kind of you know spooky and, and human. But this is um, this is a free app uh, that you can download for your iPhone or for your Android device called Digital Duds. That's D U D Z. Uh, right. And the original idea is that you're supposed to uh, send away for an actual T-shirt that goes with the animation. So this is uh, right. an, I an idea by a man named uh, Mark Rober. And he, believe it or not, is uh, in real life a rocket scientist. <laughs> See, I never believed that. Jack Black's parents, you know, the Jack Black, the comedian, his yeah. parents are actually rocket scientists as well. And I, really? And it, yeah, and it's just very funny to me, the idea that, you know, you could be at a party. <laughs> what do you do? I'm a rocket scientist. Yeah, but what do you really do? Get out. Just... Yeah. Well, uh, in this case, he works for NASA. He was part of the Curiosity team. Actually worked on the Sky Crane, which I love so much. Right. Uh, this is his website here. And uh, he actually designs a pile of different shirts. So there's one that oh, cool. uh, is of a, a sort of a skeleton soldier guy he's got witches uh one of the ones i like is that this one where it's got a, a, a human eyeball that sort of roves around looks at people that kind of oh, thing but, but with the creepy pin yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing so the idea is that you are supposed to i mean the app itself you can download for free but the idea is to go to his website buy one of those t-shirts and that way the phone actually fits with the image that's on the t-shirt you get a beautiful right. kind of look to it uh, the difficulty is it takes him six business days just to process your order. Uh, and then when you count in customs and everything else right. like that, it gets to be a bit of a, a pain and ha uh, a hassle to get it in time for Halloween. So what I did was he has been kind enough to say, look, you can use this with any T-shirt. So this is one that I chose from my closet. 
Uh, and it's by a group called the Play Dead Cult here in Toronto at Kensington. Right. Really love the way it looks around. Uh, and everything about it That's is pretty customized. You can take any shirt. All you do, all I did was just snip out the eye holes. And then once you've got it lined up, you can actually uh, change the <laughs> eyes to kind of match whatever it is that you're looking at. Uh, you can also play sound effects if you wanted to. Um, this is the one I like. This is the beating heart. Let me get it up here. Oh, the you beating heart is cool. Well. Yeah. So you would put this on your, oh, that's cool. So you would put that under your, your chest, yeah. and uh, you'd have just enough of a flap sticking out. So I, like would have just, I would just have stars. a flap, like if people go, what, what, what's that sound? I'm hearing you like, it's this. <laughs> and you just pull it up. And, wow. So here, let me get the sound on. See, it's actually got the thump, thump. Wow! Wow! Yeah, that's the the zombie setting. He's got and, a, and what sort of uh, monies are we talking here for these things? Well, the app itself is free, right? Uh, and then the shirts on his website are twenty five dollars American. Right. But any t shirt will work. So yeah. I think this cost me maybe twenty dollars over at yeah, Playdead. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then uh, it's just up to you and your own creativity in terms of how you take those animations and where you pop them and put them. They've got witches, they've got uh, clowns, they've got uh, serial killers, and <laughs> 20 different animations in there, even a, a crystal ball. Uh, wow. The one that I'm wearing here for my skull is actually designed to go on one of those portraits, paintings that you would have on a wall. Right. And the eyes kind of look around. Uh, so all I did was just take that and put it into my, uh, my skull here. Yeah, there was, when, when I grew up, I grew up in Nova Scotia, in a little town in Nova Scotia, and uh, it's, it's a very old town. I grew up uh, knowing kids who lived in old sea captains' houses, and, and uh, the houses were smugglers and privateers used to live in. There's something crazy happening on the other end of the line here. And, and, uh, but people were very superstitious uh, down there. And mm -hmm. um, again, somewhere over here, I have a book. Oh, it's the South Shore of Nova Scotia. And there's a book written about uh, the superstitions of the South Shore of Nova Scotia. And maybe next week, that's what I'll talk about as we get closer to Halloween. Because I'm actually in it. Uh, because I, I've, oh. I've, I've, I've got some uh, superstitions that have stayed with me all these years. But, cool. um, but there was a place called the Simeon Perkins House. And it's terrible that I can't remember why he's significant, but he was one of the founding fathers of the town, I think, of Liverpool, and, and uh, you know, was a, was a very significant figure. But his house is preserved pretty much the way that it would have been when he lived in it, which means that, you know, when I walk through it, I hit my head on every doorway that's only this tall. And, right. and, uh, but there are witches' balls that hang in the windows, which are just big silver, they look like huge silver Christmas ornaments. And you hang them in the window so that when witches come up and they peer in your window to like steal your kids or take your soul <laughs> or something, they'll they'll see their own reflections in this ball and get freaked out and run away. Right. Uh, so there's witches balls in all the windows, but there's also all the paintings in that house, and this is the first time I had ever seen that, are painted on this weird canvas that has sort of a crinkle to it, and they're the ones that look like the eyes are following you. And so oh. all the portraits in this old house, which dates back probably 200 years, uh, and these portraits are potentially even older than that because uh, he, he, he came, he settled in Liverpool, so he might have brought them with them. Uh, they have this weird texture to the canvas, and everywhere you look, if you look up at the painting, it looks like it's looking at you no matter <laughs> where you are in the room. <laughs> That's cool. That's why. That is very cool. Yeah, yeah. No, I grew up as a kid. I used to go there all the time. Uh, and uh, they, uh, um, it's it's a, it's a famous part of the the history of this town. Now, is it a historical house that's sort of being maintained? That's got status to it, or is this someone? Oh, yeah. someone's living yeah. there, or you know? Oh no 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 no! It's a it's a it's a here, like I'm the Campbell sorry. House would be here in in Toronto. Yeah, or? yeah. And except you know, it's a very small town, right? So uh, it is the it is the the you know the tourist or one of the tourist attractions. And um, it's very small, but uh, here, let me see if I can find, no, there's gotta be pictures of it all over here. Um, here we go, yeah, here we go. 
Oh yeah, totally. This is I haven't thought of this place in a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well I'll I'll, I'll, sh I'll show you some things here. Um, uh, you know, not <laughs> I sort of derailed things here with my oh, little walk down memory lane, but uh, <laughs> let me just uh, <laughs> let me show you. This is Simeon Perkins. Uh, this is what he looked like, a uh, very sort of stern-looking kind of old guy. Um, but as we look through, he kept diaries, and everything in his diary was was very detailed regarding, uh, you know, the town, the birth of the town, and that sort of thing. Um, but they don't have any pictures, damn it. They don't have any pictures of the, uh, of the paintings. But uh, this is the kind of thing, if you go there, and you know what, if you're down on the South Shore, it is actually worth having a look at. Um, uh, this is the kind of thing that you will find uh, mostly people dressed up in costumes sitting at his furniture talking, you know, giving you the rundown of how butter was churned in the back and what the witch's right. balls are all about and all that kind of thing. But that's what you'll see if you go to the Simeon Perkins house. But next week I'm totally going to talk about South Shore superstitions uh, because – um, it's nuts down there how, and, and I'm one of these people. So I, you know, I, I, I feel perfectly comfortable, uh, um, uh, saying this All right. it's nuts down there. People are, they see a crow on the side of the road and there's a, this immediate little poem that they go to one crow sorrow, two crows joy, three crows, uh, something four crows, a boy. And it's all like, and it goes on 15 crows, uh, you know, and, and wow. like, Many people, certainly, I mean, that's an older generation thing, sure. uh, but a lot of people down there still know about this. When they got in touch with me, uh, they got in touch with, with people from the South Shore who, um, you know, or like sort of have gone on to become kind of well-known or whatever. It's like people on TV. And so they got in touch with me and said, listen, we're writing a book about superstitions, and this one crow sorrow, two crows joy, three crows a letter, four crows a boy. That's what it is. Uh, <laughs> and... And, uh, and that's, uh, that's what the story that I gave them. But, I mean, there's an entire book full of them. And I remember all that. And even to this day, if I see someone put shoes on a table, I'm like, yeah, no, you're crazy. No, what are really? you doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. That must be sort of, um, uh, whether it's a maritime thing or... Well, I think it is. I mean, you know, it's also, the maritimes were settled by... You know, people uh, uh, from you know Scotland and Ireland and that sort of thing, which who would have brought a um, you know centuries worth of, of superstition with them over to uh, this new world, and and uh, a lot of it, a lot of it stayed. Wow. Yeah. Well, the um, the there's no superstition involved. I know. I see. Now I'm derailing you completely. Now we're talking about apps again. <laughs> but, you know, I just wanted to say, uh, Mark Roper, who uh, is the inventor of this app that I'm right. wearing, which is Digital Duds. I was trying right. to find a proper photo because uh, his other invention, last year, he made headlines everywhere uh, because he created a costume for himself. So, you know, not content just enough. I mean, those guys in NASA are crazy because you've got one guy with his hair all done in a mohawk with stars yeah, painted yeah, yeah. on it, which yeah. is a superstition itself. Yeah, he right. did right. a different haircut for every launch as a form of good luck. Uh, I mentioned before uh, how they would pass out peanuts during the launch to try yeah. to, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, again, those guys are, are kind of, you know, I think they're cool. I think they're very, very cool in terms of the stuff that they do. But this man, Mark Roper, who came up with this idea, uh, last year he came up with a contraption where it looked like there was a hole through his body, you know, like in a cartoon sense, it's yep, like somebody had yep. shot a rocket through. Yeah. And he'd done this by using an iPad. He strapped an iPad to his chest and he had a camera on his backside and just fed the video link to. Oh, and so cool, same cool. idea, he'd wear a shirt that would be very specially yeah. designed. It would look like, you know, there'd be bits of flesh and his shirts are ripped apart and torn and burnt. And then you could see right through what was happening on the other side. Dude. Fantastic. <laughs> Do you have a picture of that somewhere? Can we I find was a just trying to find it, and it's all YouTube videos of him doing uh, it, which yeah, we yeah, can't yeah. make happen. But I will put a link to that YouTube video on our website, of course. Yeah. 
but it was very cool. The problem was when he did a write-up on it, people complained and said, look, <laughs> this is a really cool trick, but it costs a lot of money in terms of all the gear. I mean, it's not right. just the cameras and everything else like that. Uh, you know, isn't there something a little bit more simpler? And so that's why he came up with this app this year and said, well, look, all you got to do is poke, you know, it's like the bed sheet goes. Yeah. You put a couple yeah, yeah. of holes in a shirt and you just tape your phone to the back of it and uh, there you go. And then it's just sort of trying to be inventive in terms of, all the different faces and things that you yeah yeah well, that's very cool yeah that's very it's the kind of thing that if it were uh, 150 years old and soaking in formaldehyde <laughs> you might find at a place that I visited this week oh yeah yeah I'm dying it's, to hear about this well it's so crazy I oh. I uh, I went to New York uh, I just got back last night and I'm gonna say this. If you're going back and forth, we you know we're living in Toronto here, so uh, fly Porter <laughs> if you can fly Porter. I'm telling you, from the island airport, uh, um, we were we we got in, we cleared, we landed, got in, cleared customs, got home, and and uh, walked through our front door less than an hour after the plane touched down. Wow, it was awesome. They helped us change our flight and didn't charge us anything. Porter That's Airlines amazing. rocks the world, and uh, and the almonds are delicious too that they give you. But uh, so anyway, I got back last night, and while we were there, uh, as I said, I kind of I tuned out. I've been uh, really pushing it lately, and so I decided just to go uh, to the busiest city in the world and tune out, <laughs> rather than. But I wasn't checking my emails and doing all that kind of stuff. But I had a long list of things that I wanted to see and places I wanted to go, and um, this place. Uh, was chief among them, and I, I, I didn't really go uh, uh, for any other reason other than I just wanted to see what it was all about. This is Obscura, and Obscura is uh, on uh, Avenue A um, in, uh, in uh, the East Village. Uh, if you're looking for it, it's uh, 207 Avenue A, and I think it's between 12th and 13th Streets, and uh, it's, it's, you know, an easy breezy walk from... Uh, from uh, Astor Place subway stop. If you get off there, just walk down, you'll be able to find it. It's easy to get to, and it's pretty cool. Now, you if you haven't heard of it, it means you haven't probably seen a show called Oddities, which is on television, which I guess the easiest way to explain it, Oddities, it's kind of like Pawn Stars, only they deal in like formaldehyde-soaked monkey's paws and uh, shrunken heads and two-headed calves and just like the title suggests, oddities. And it's run by two people who have run for many, many years. They've had it for a long time. They've been collectors of just uh, odd things. And it's ephemera. It doesn't really matter what it is. If it's got a weird backstory to it, uh, if it is old medical devices they like, like they, the, on the television show, I didn't see this in the store, but on the television show a little while ago, they had this thing which was like a metal crown, almost like a crown of thorns uh, that you wore and then you clamped it on your nose and straightened your nose. But it just looked like a medieval torture device, you know? But it's the kind of thing that probably 100 years ago or, you know, maybe not even 60, 70 years ago might actually have been used somewhere or prescribed by a doctor. It's often stuff that you wouldn't even think existed, let alone that somebody might want to buy it or have it yeah. in your shop uh, things from old carnivals uh, old yeah. prosthetics uh, you'd have to have a weird sense of of uh, curiosity to kind of yeah. look at it and go oh yeah this is kind of neat you know yeah, yeah yeah it is that kind of place I mean definitely like uh, it's not as big if you're a fan of the television show and I do watch the show it's not as big as you think it's going to be uh, no. on the show it looks uh, larger and more crowded than it is um, now, unless they have two locations, I don't know. But the window in the show looks like the window that I saw. Uh, and, of course, the window that I saw had a cool display of this sort of like, I don't really even know what it was, like a sort of like a cross between like a werewolf and a bear uh, with like <laughs> blood coming yeah. out of its mouth. And it was like wearing a crown. And, you know, who knows where it was found. But, uh, and, but, and then the great logo, the Obscura logo. Uh, but uh, we got there and, you know, uh, it, it's still an in-production television show and uh we got there and evan michelson who is the blonde woman who was on the show uh was was actually there she noticed my ring which i'm not wearing right now but i wear i've got a, a ring with a glass eye in it that I oh, wear cool. all the time. and i was wearing that ring 
And uh, she's like, I just filmed a segment today all about glass eyes. How interesting that you came in. I'm like, of course, you just did that because that's what you do here at the store. Uh, but, you know, uh, she was t saying to me that, you know, they've sold everything from uh, medically mummified human heads uh, <laughs> to two-headed calves, and they actually had one of those. Now, the two-headed calves, I think, are like a carny scam. I think that it's someone who was, you know, it's a taxidermy calf. And I, I think that, you know, someone stitched another head onto the side. But nonetheless, if you're into that kind of thing, it's pretty cool. And uh, they also had all sorts of, like, weird-looking jars with skulls and crosses on them and things. Everything looks very old. And on the show, I was afraid, quite honestly, afraid to touch anything. Because in the show, uh, they had this uh, uh, hand at one point. And a very long time ago, when doctors were studying the musculature of the hand, they used human hands uh, from, you know, like when prisoners would die or bodies right. would donate to science or whatever. And they were dried out and, you know, things and, and the skin was removed. You could see the muscles in them. Uh, but they were also apparently to preserve them, they were soaked in arsenic. And so you have to be very careful. <laughs> and, and in the show, she was touching it and holding it and stuff. And then she had to go to the doctor and find out whether she had taken a, a, <laughs> a lethal dose of, dose of arsenic or not. Yeah. Um, but uh, luckily she hadn't. But So I didn't really uh, touch things in the store okay. so much. But uh, they do have a lot of really cool, uh, fascinating stuff that you'll just simply, I don't think, ever find anywhere else. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's kind of the, you know, the... Um, I've gone to sort of their sister store because they've now started up a San Francisco. Well, that's where you bought the wolf eye, right? Yeah, and uh, they, there's a, sh a store out there called Love to Death, which is right. kind of the San Francisco version of it. I had a similar experience and then I walked in and the place um, is a lot smaller than it appears on television. On television, right. you must use a wide-angle lens or something when you're shooting it. it. makes it look like there's a lot more space to it. Right. Uh, and I was kind of... Uh, please, because once again, I got to meet the host that's on the show. Is actually they actually work there at the store. They'll be right. behind the counter if you want to buy yeah. something from them. But I had that experience of going in and saying, "Wow, this stuff looks fantastic! It's amazing. Do I want to buy it? Do I want to own it?" It's yeah, a tough well, question. Yeah. Well, see, so, no, that's that's the thing. Like, you know, what I was thinking, and I, and I my tweet that I sent around was something like, you know, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't went in looking for a monkey paw and ended up buying <laughs> something non-organic or something, because I, I thought like it, it seemed weird to me the idea. And I'm just looking around, like I've got some odd little things just sitting on my desk. Here's a little Spock that mm -hmm. sits on my desk, and uh, this is uh, cool. This is a zombie. Uh, pen holder, so it's like he's stabbed in the <laughs> chest. Um, nice. Yeah, and uh, you know, there's this thing that that's been just sitting here for years, and it's a little furry bear uh, that that someone gave me a very long time ago, and it's been sitting watching over me for years now, protecting me. I like to think, but uh, none of these are organic. <laughs> and as I was looking at a lot of the stuff there, a lot of it was like there are human remains there and stuff, and I was like, you know what? Yeah. I just don't think that I want to, A, try and take it across the border, and B, I don't think I want it in my house anywhere. Right. I don't well, think I do. <laughs> I think there's, there's sort of different levels of it, uh, and I have that same kind of issue with uh, taxidermy or things in a jar. Yeah. Uh, I love the idea of things in a jar. I love it when I go into a store and, or a place like that. Uh, love to Death has one, which is a, an actual human hand that has the word hate tattooed on each of the knuckles. Love to death yeah. in San Francisco. See, San Francisco. I'm not even sure that, like, how can it even be legal, really, to, to have <laughs> some of that stuff? Well, it depends how old it is. Yeah, they, I'm the sure there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. can't produce that stuff today. Uh, it's the same thing with, say, ivory, for example, where right. it's, it's illegal today to make anything out of ivory, but something that was made 200 years ago out yeah. of ivory now is classified as an antique. So I guess yeah. it's that kind of an approach to it. But, uh, I mean, I... Uh, I'm very interested in natural history. I mm -hmm. love anatomy. So for me, I would have to admit that there were some things that I wouldn't mind having um, on hand. I've reached the point where I think an articulated skeleton of a certain animal might be kind of cool to have, or at least a reproduction of one. A uh, reproduction of one is cool. Yeah. That's fine. But they had a thing. They had a thing there uh, that looked to me like, um, you know those, the, the show that they have at the AGO here, every, or the, 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 uh, the Science Center, uh, okay. the, the real bodies with that have all their skin. The and you can see that, yeah. 
the plastic antibodies. Well, they had what looked to me one of those, only like a little person version of it. Oh, cool. <laughs> it was cool. Yeah, kind of cool, except, you know, that was also a living, breathing, thinking thing, and I just didn't think it was right to have it. Yeah, yeah, do you want that as a conversation piece sitting on your coffee table? And I do not. No, okay. I do not. <laughs> um, but I'll show you. I, I, I brought up a picture here. This is... Uh, uh, Evan Michelson, she's the woman uh, that you'll see on the show, and she's actually there. If you go, you can uh, you can say hello, and uh, she'll chat and hang out. We talked about movies for quite a while, and uh, she's very nice. But uh, uh, she also she's a collector of obscura, of very odd things. Right. But it was uh, a cool shot. It was cool. I was really happy to go there. I was it was I was it was really fun to see it, and it's in a cool neighborhood. It's in a neighborhood that uh, is slowly, uh, looks to me anyways, I mean, it's the Alphabet City of old. And, you know, so it, it used to be uh, uh, really, really bad. And now it's gentrifying, but it still hasn't pushed out all the artists. And, and so there are, like, cool uh, little pockets of places like Obscura. And there's a, a, a place just down the road from there. I think it's called Saint Magnifique. And uh, they sell really crazy jewelry and have for 30 years in the same location. So it's cool down there. It's a, it's a very uh, – it's an enjoyable walk. And then there's all kinds of places to go eat and hang out and, and see things that, you know, you don't see about on diners, drive-ins, and dives, for instance, <laughs> on the Food Network. And it's fun down there. It's cool. Well, uh, I mean, did you buy anything or – No, I bought nothing. I was going to. Uh, but then I got freaked out and I didn't. <laughs> okay. Well, I have to say, like, it took me two trips to go and get the wolf eyes, because uh, I'd really? been to the store the first time and I looked at it and I thought, hey, that's I, uh, there was an impulse. Hey, that would be kind yeah. of fun to have and bring home in a box. And it wasn't until my second trip that I got there that I finally really got to a point where I thought, you know, I am going to do this. I, I yeah. feel weird kind of about it, but I am. And since I brought it back, I have to say it's like the best $12 I've ever spent. Well, I know. Well, see, that's the thing. I, no, I will. I mean, had I spent more time, I yeah. guess, I, you know, I was and, and I was very aware of being like a looky-loo. I really felt like I was just one of those people that they probably see a hundred of a day, like, oh, he watches the TV show. He's just coming. He's not going to buy anything. He's just going to look mm -hmm. around and oh, they're boring. And 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 I I don't know. I didn't do it. Didn't happen. <laughs> well, I think you know you have to. It's hard in that kind of industry. You know, when you talk about say antique stores or places like that, it's not somebody's not going in to get something that's utility by nature, but they're looking right. for something that they're going to have an emotional connection right. to. So just. Going in and saying, look, I want to get a, a portrait of a clown, it, it has to be a certain clown that you're going to sort of react to. And I think it's the same idea. You could walk in and there could be, you know, um, they could have some Harry Houdini stuff there. And maybe right. that would be something you'd be like, oh, wow, that I have to buy. That yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was cool. And, 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 but I was, I was very glad to have seen it. And, and I will definitely go back. And who knows, maybe I'll bring a monkey's paw back with me yet. I don't know. I'm yeah. Excited. Well, I, you know, amongst the things that I picked up were um, some feathers, which I've actually used in right. making some of the segments that I've done. The South African porcupine quill, I'm pleased with that. Every uh, now and then, it's just, you know, you're looking for something, you know, especially um, being a tech guy like me, there's always, I have to sort of stick a, a pin or something into a little right. place to kind of jig. jig right, 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 right. Do what we call the jiggery pokery of is technology. Is that what that is? Yes. Yes. I know. And so, uh, South African porcupine quill is just like a really cool way of trying to fulfill that particular need. Right. Did they have anything that was sort of small to buy? So all the shops that I've been into, the, yeah. the South San Francisco version, they would actually have little baskets where you could get things like wolf claws. Yeah. No, they did. They had shirt. alligator claws, real right. alligator, like baby alligator claws. Uh, and they also had lots of little jars. It just had like things, and just little things that you could buy. And they had so t-shirts and hats and, and stuff like that. And I would guess that these days, probably a great deal of the trade that they do is in those hats and t-shirts and stuff. I'm not convinced that they're selling as many uh, taxidermied alligators, you know, as you might <laughs> think. I have a feeling that it's probably it's you know it, it's probably split at least 50-50 between tourism, just straight ahead TV tourism, and then people who are real collectors who are looking for hardcore oddities. Yeah, there's been a real jump 
uh, I would say in the last 10 to 15 years of people who have become collectors of that kind of stuff, especially taxidermy. There's so yeah. many people, uh, especially big name stars. Darren Brown who's a hypnotist, quite famous in the UK, is a major collector, for example. And uh, they were interviewing him about it. He said, you know, I was collecting back when nobody really, when it wasn't hip or cool yeah, to have yeah, dead yeah, things yeah. in your apartment. And now there's, there's quite a surge. So I would imagine that in recent years that there may be some trade in terms of the bigger items. But, yeah, most of the shops that I've seen, they seem to make sure they have, they have lots of little $6, $8 things. And that's probably what most people uh, yeah. end up buying. Yeah, particularly just the people that are cruising through because I've seen it on television. You know, it's unlikely, you know. I mean, I, I, I have an interest in a lot of it, but I'm certainly, you know, as we've talked about, I'm not buying anything that used to be alive. Well, and uh, I think the real problem is that the really cool stuff is very expensive. You know, totally, and, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You have to have... <laughs> a mummified head is going to cut, set you back a few thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, they did an episode where they had a, a book that was made out of skin. Turned out not to be human. It was right. pig skin. But even still, I mean, there, there are certain things that it's just kind of, I don't know. I, um, I mean, there's the uh, Clone Bones catalog, uh, which is a company out of San Francisco, and they do reproductions of skeletons and I occasionally look at that stuff and I don't know one day I'll be really silly and spend a lot of useless money on something like that yeah, yeah. or there's the Museum of Osteology uh, down in Oklahoma that will articulate animal uh, skeletons and it's it's debatable whether I'd want anything like that but I have to say on their Facebook page they have a photograph of a chameleon that they've done and it just looks fantastic that is cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm like oh maybe that would be the one that would push me over the edge I tell you <laughs> Well, before we uh, move along, because I know you have another thing you want to talk about, I wanted to show you this. This I uh, this is subway art. Uh, this is actually a tile uh, wall. I think it was at 66th Street, and it's just so beautiful and and so kind of elaborate and so uh, uh, considering that it is probably been there for right however many years. Uh, I decided it was really sort of exotic looking. And it also, frankly, kind of reminded me of The Nun in The Devils, uh, Sisters Yawn, the movie that I just uh, finished writing about. This sort of the face reminded me of her a little bit. But that's uh, that I just thought was a very cool uh, uh, little bit of subway art. It's nice. It's got um, a bit of a religious feel to it because I Absolutely, guess yeah. it looks like a stained glass. But there's something about the um, the face and the, the, the contour of it that also gives it like a comic book kind of graphic novel. Yep. Feel. And how interesting it'd be a redhead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's cool. It's, it's very cool. It's in, and again, it's probably been there for, you know, 50 years or maybe not 50, but a long, very long time. Yeah. Um, something that I thought was kind of interesting for movies right now. I still, uh, I haven't seen Looper yet. Got to do it. Yeah, I know, I know. Got to do uh, it. Actually, that reminds me. Oh, just quickly. Has Richard seen Sherlock yet? <laughs> mm. I have to kind of get mileage out of that. Yeah. yeah, no, I love it. I love it. No, I haven't. I was away. Uh, so, because uh, we taped late last week. Yeah, so, yeah. no, I was away. So, uh, I have an excuse for not having seen it yet, but soon. Well, soon. soon. So, I haven't seen Looper yet, and I, okay. I feel really horrible because everybody's going on about how utterly fantastic it is. Well, and see it before you, too many people say this to you, you know? Yeah. See it before, it's, it, before it becomes... You know, like the only before you go in with such high expectations that they can never be met. Yeah, and I mean, if it wasn't for a Thanksgiving weekend, I probably would have done it this past weekend. And it's right. annoying because everybody's asking questions about the movie. Right. It's very, you know, revealing, and I'm trying to get away from it as much as I can. Yeah. But what uh, is interesting is that the director of the film, Ryan Johnson, uh, has released a director's commentary MP3 file this that you cool. can download. Yeah, and he apparently did this for The Brothers Bloom, his previous film. Yeah. Although that wasn't a movie that was as talked about nearly as much as Looper was. So I think that kind of fell through the cracks. Yeah. But his concept here is, and it's interesting, is to get people to go back into the theater and see it a second time. Yeah. That you would see it once, and then there would be an advantage to going back and seeing it again, listening to his commentary uh, on your iPhone or your smartphone, that kind of thing. He actually tells you when to synchronize. He's like, when you see the Pegasus coming at you. In the right, but you be, see, now, it's different, though, in Canada. Keep in ah. mind that I think it's the Screen Gems logo that comes up on the American prints. It's the E1 logo. 
And so, and he mentions that it's one of the first things that he will tell you, uh, just, you know, start now or pause now or whatever it is. I haven't heard it, but uh, it's in Canada. We get a different logo because it was a different distributor here in Canada. Gotcha. So okay. just be aware of that. So that's kind of a, okay, well, that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an interesting concept because I think that there's been a lot of, uh, effort in terms of trying to get movies back to uh, a point where they're in theaters for a longer period of time. It seems to be the yeah. mad rush to try to make as much money as you can off of the first two weeks and then yank it and put another movie in its place. And so there isn't that cultural relationship that we would have with a movie like we used to have. It's only with big blockbusters like, say, The Avengers, for example, that will continue for four weeks or six weeks where people might still be talking about it. Yeah, well, and Looper is the kind of movie that you know, they've probably, you know, frankly, in just in terms of business, they probably already made their money back. It probably wasn't that expensive. Um, I don't really know, but it wasn't a $200 million movie for sure. Those are the movies that, you know, have uh, tie-ins at McDonald's. You know, you can get the, the toys at McDonald's and they're, they're, there's ads everywhere stuff because they want everyone to see it on that first weekend. They, they need to make a huge splash. So it, that's because that's the only way they're ever going to make their money back. Looper can, you know, can take its time a little bit. Looper will hang around. It's got Bruce Willis, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Emily Blunt. So it's got big enough stars in it that, you know, it can, it, it will take some time uh, or, or it will hang around the theaters a little bit. But you've got to have a reason to have people go back once or twice or, or, or three times. And, you know, that reason now I think is very cool. You give them a new experience. You let them see the same movie, but you, you enhance it somehow. And it's, that's a really cool idea. Well, and especially with a movie like this, uh, which would be, say, similar to Memento, where there's a bit of a, a cerebral puzzle in terms yeah. of trying to understand things. I know they've also released an infographic that shows the timeline for the movie to help people sort of try to have their debates as to what's yeah. going on. But I would look at that stuff after. Don't look at any of that before you see it. No, and he makes yeah. that clear in terms of the director's commentary. At the opening, he does a little introduction that says, please do not listen to this on your first time viewing the movie because right. we ruin everything. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like the approach to it because I think it's, it's much, uh, number one, it's low cost. It's not going to yeah. cost them anything to yeah. produce the director's commentary and make it available. But also it's, it's nice to see someone trying to figure out how to solve the issue of getting people to relate to films better that's not from a marketing point of view. Right. Far right. too often I think the discussions about movies and how to solve problems in terms of audiences and movies always comes back to being a marketing solution rather than someone saying, well, let's think about how people are watching the films and what creative kind of things we can add that uh, might solve those problems. Well, well, I think that's why people are cynical about 3D. Right. Because 3D was, you know, quite honestly, I can name on one hand and possibly another digit from this hand the amount of movies that I've seen that I, I really feel that 3D added something to. You know, some look okay, some, you know, I mean, there's still, there's many, many that just look terrible in 3D still. I mean, all the movies that they retrofit with 3D, like Clash of the Titans and The Last Airbender and all that stuff that were shot in 2D, and then they went, oh, wait, everything's supposed to be in 3D now. Uh, and so they go back, add the 3D in, which darkens the picture with, in the case of, uh, the last airbender, you couldn't see anything. The damn movie all took place at night and you couldn't see anything. So, you know, that's a problem that they didn't count on. So, you know, 3D more often than not doesn't add that much to it. I think kids like it more than adults. Kids, I think because of the, you know, it, it, there's more going on or it feels like it anyway. And if you ever watch a, a 3D movie in an audience full of kids, uh, it's kind of fun because, you know, something comes off the screen and the kids are like, oh, and they're leaning back and they're <laughs> it. And so, I mean, I get where the kids can see. Yeah, it. sure. But, you know, but I can think of very few movies that the story uh, or the, the telling of the story has been enhanced in any way by three, the addition of 3D. And I think 3D to me feels like a cynical uh, marketing idea like, how can we uh, jack up the price $3 but still give the impression that we're giving value for it? And that's, for me, that's what it feels like. Right, yeah. And so I kind of like this approach. I don't know how successful it's going to be. I'll have to give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you know, I, I always think uh, Sony recently was showing me their new 4K television, which has four times the resolution of high definition. Right. And, you know. How much do you need? 
How much do you need? Like, I see, I wonder about this. I mean, I'm sure it looks great. I'm, uh, but I'm told that uh, The Hobbit was shot in 48 frames a second, which is double what they normally do. Right. And I'm told that at the original screening of it, it's only been shown once, uh, and just then, just clips of it, that the resolution was so extreme and in the 3D that it was, from an audience point of view, it, was a, it looked like you were watching a play. And watching a play... And watching a movie are two very different things. Right. And as you know, so uh, like something like The Hobbit, I'm sure has enough uh, scope to it. They open it up enough that there, you know, again, I haven't seen it. Nobody has, but I mean, I'm sure that there's loads of you know action scenes and things which clearly will not look like a theatrical presentation. But in in a movie that's talky. You know, you, you like, and, and I think that takes some of the magic away. The magic of film is that it is a unique experience. And I mean, on Broadway uh, last week, I saw uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and uh, I it's the it's the new version of it, uh, or a new you know new obviously you know old text, new version, a new actors, and it's fantastic. But it's a much different experience than watching the movie, and I've seen the movie a lot of times, but the plays, it feels different, and it should. They're two different mediums. And so I'm not sure that I'm buying that we have to continually, uh, uh, it, you know, in, in, improve and give higher resolution on this sort of thing. I don't think people care that much, for one thing, <laughs> and, and I don't think that it adds that much to the experience. Maybe on television for watching sports, but beyond that, I don't know. No, I, I agree. I, for me, it's funny, but the most interactive experience I've had in the theater is still the Rocky Horror Picture Show, right. and that's just people screaming at the screen yep. and throwing, you know, toilet toast. Yeah. It's not, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be that high tech. It has to go back to the craft of telling a story and engaging people's imaginations. Yeah, absolutely. All right, um, so we should finish off with Battle of the Monsters round two. <laughs> um, well, you wanted to uh, this time have a look at some different ones. Right, so I thought, you know, um, last week we did classic uh, mm -hmm. monsters, the ones from the early, I guess, 40s and 50s. So now we're going to go forward 20 years and reach the point of the 60s and 70s. And so one of the first ones I thought of, you know, in terms of the big all-time monsters, and usually doesn't appear in any monster lists, would have to be Bruce uh, Jaws. Jaws, yeah. The ultimate shark. Well, listen, I'll tell you, I saw uh, Jaws uh, about, I don't know, two months ago uh, on the big screen at the Tiff Bell Lightbox here in Toronto. And, you know, I hadn't seen it in years and years and years. What I can tell you is that when I was a kid, and uh, the year it came out, uh, it's all anybody talked about. And, uh, you know, everyone was uh, uh, talking about the movie. It was like The Exorcist. It was one of those things. It was just, it was that it lived at the very center of popular culture. And I grew up on a beach. I grew up on a, on a beach on that, res that, that, you know, really needed tourists coming through. And so people were very concerned the year it came out that it was going to kill tourism because who's going to want to swim in the ocean? Well, nothing happened that year. But next year, <laughs> the yeah. beaches were empty the following year. And I think the reason that that happened is the idea that uh, of the horror of, of Jaws is similar, I think, to the idea of the horror in The Birds, the Alfred Hitchcock movie, The Birds. It's nature doing awful things for reasons that we can't understand. We don't know why this shark seems hell-bent on eating people. In real life, sharks don't eat people like this. No. They bite people sometimes, but they don't do what this shark does. And there's no effort in the movie to sort of, you know, explain this. There's a couple of little, well, you know, they're in shallow water, and of course, that's what they're, they're, they're hungry. But there's no real reason... And that's what makes it scary, I think, is just the idea that nature is something that we just simply cannot control in any way uh, is rebelling against us. Or just that uh, reminder, that suggestion that we're not necessarily on the top of the food chain, that we right. are sitting rather comfort, you know, comfortably within our own societies, but you step outside of that. You go into the right. wild, you go into the water, and uh, you're no longer the top predator. There's actually something bigger and scarier going after you. Yeah. And I think it sort of represents a very major shift and change in terms of monsters because, you know, back in the classic days of, of Dracula and uh, Frankenstein, you're talking about things that are supernatural. Right. That there's a part of you that says, okay, well, this doesn't really exist, so I don't have to. 
uh, be too concerned about it. I can be freaked out in the middle of the night, but it's not like I have to worry about somebody building something that's right. going to come after me or vampires that are not really real, that kind of thing. Whereas sharks, sharks are definitely real. And we've seen photographs of them and the attacks are, are pretty crazy. Uh, to go against Jaws, our, mm -hmm. our challenger this year, uh, this round, I decided to go after uh, about the same time, in fact, before Jaws. Uh, it's Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. So I think zombies uh, really have become one of the big iconic monsters of the 20th and 21st century. Certainly they're popular now more than they were, I guess, back in 1968 when they came out. So again, and it's sort of that that kind of horror that really gets under your skin. It bothers mm -hmm. you in a way that you don't quite know why. Well, know? just the idea of, of, of humans who still look like humans enough uh, that want to eat you and are relentless about it is scary, you know, because the, the, the Romero zombies, unlike the zombies in 28 days later and things like that, they don't move very quickly, but they're lumbering and they're relentless and they just never stop. And I think that's where a lot of the horror comes from. And look at her face. Yeah. <laughs> just so oh, grim. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, there is coming up, and we'll, we'll talk. I just want to uh, throw this up here. Coming yeah. up to at the Bell uh, Tiff light box um, is uh, a collection of George Romero. Whoops, here we go. Uh, George Romero films. Uh, at Halloween, you can see uh, this uh, George A. Romero retrospective. He, of course, is like the godfather of of, um, of zombies, and uh, he's going to introduce several of the screenings. And uh, they're going to be playing Creep Show, Martin, which if you haven't seen is a oh, terrific yeah. movie. Uh, the Crazies, Monkey Shines, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. And uh, it's going to be uh, a pretty cool event. And this poster, I think, is pretty cool. It was designed by Gary Pullen, uh, who did the cover of The Devil's Book uh, by oh, cool. Raising Hell, Ken Russell, and The Unmaking of the Devils. Um, and then coming up, I think it's next week, uh, I'm hosting an event with... Uh, George A. Romero uh, on Tuesday, October 16th, uh, we're playing Land of the Living Dead and George Romero and his editor, Michael Doherty, and I are going to discuss the movie afterwards in front of an audience. So that should be pretty fun. But I, I'm not sure which way I would go here. Having grown up on the ocean uh, and knowing of the power, not only of the ocean itself, but of the creatures that reside within it, having seen a lot of it firsthand because, you know, I spent the first... Uh, you know, my up to my early teens, staring at the ocean uh, <laughs> virtually every day. Um, uh, you do learn a thing or two, and you learn a certain reverence for it, and you know how sort of awe-inspiring it can be out there. So um, I'm not sure, but zombies are uh, terrifying. So I don't know. I don't know which way I'm going to go on this. I'm going to get fought. No, I, I I purposely sort of set these up so that they would be very challenging and very, very difficult. I uh, hope people think long and hard about them. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is. I, I kind of like both of them because I think it's also a meeting of science and superstition in right. both of them. Because uh, you take a look at uh, I Am Legend, which is one of the first books that really sort of dealt with that post-apocalyptic world. Yeah. Of, it was about vampires, but it was also about zombies where the protagonists start to think about the situation rationally. How do I survive? How do I, you know, it's not about rules like yeah. you had with superstition. A vampire, you had to go get garlic and yeah, get steaks. But when you're dealing with things like zombies, uh, it's a case of where people are trying to realistically think, well, you know, I have to get out of the city because there might be disease as the sewage right. systems aren't cleaning. You know, there's all sorts of rational thought processes that people sort of dive into. And I think it's the same kind of thing with sharks in that you, it's encouraged people to try to learn and understand the, the real sort of nature of sharks right. and what your survival really means. So they're, they're both, I think, very important aspects of, of sort of the, the, the film world of monsters. And it's, it's going to be a hard choice to make. But It is. Not, it, it, if you haven't read <laughs> I Am Legend, the Richard wow. Matheson novella, it's about 100 pages long, 110 pages long. Mm -hmm. Read it because it's so good. That was the first thing of his I ever read. Someone gave it to me in a small collection, a little book, a very thin book, with a number of short stories and some other things in it. I, I couldn't read it fast enough. And then I went out and I bought everything. I bought everything the guy's ever written. And uh, I'm a huge fan. And I don't even read a lot of speculative fiction. <laughs> but this guy, is, there's just something about the way he writes. I just find it fascinating. He used to write The Twilights and lots of other things too. But uh, it's good stuff. 
No, he hasn't been celebrated nearly as much as perhaps he should. Well, it's uh, true. Like, you know, well, everyone thinks of, of Rod Serling when they think of uh, 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 the Twilight Zone. But Richard Matheson, I, you know, is, is pretty important in that uh, canon as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're going to ask you to please go to our website and vote for either Jaws or the Zombies, Night of the Living Dead Zombies. Uh, the winner will be added to our little ladder system. Yeah. Next week, we're going to pit off... Uh, some more modern monsters. Mm. And then based on the winners of those three, so Frankenstein, whoever wins this week and whoever ne wins next week, that will be the final uh, challenge at the end of October. We'll see who's the, the final monster of them all. It's going to get gory. Stick yeah. around. Okay. Stick around, people. <laughs> okay, so cue up the uh, musical. This is Johnny O and the Jerks playing Zombie Love Affair. Thank you very much.